Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. You all have full permission to be provoked by anything that's taught today. My desire is that even when you have questions, that it draws you into the Bible. You know what I mean? That we understand that our our Father is so good and kind, and His Spirit has been given to lead us into all truth. You know what I mean? And um, that doesn't mean that we're not allowed to have questions. And even question things that we've been taught or believed. That's actually very healthy to do. Because how can you believe something that you haven't questioned? You know? Then it would be more like something you were just told and you accepted. Um, but there's something, there's a, higher, there's a higher way of knowing, which is truly believing something, you know. And a lot of times people feel guilty, like, oh, you're a doubting Thomas, like, you know, you're not a, you don't believe the right, you know, this and that. And it's just like, hey, it's okay not to have the answers. It's a big stress and pressure. A lot of people feel like they have to have all the answers, you know. But, the word of life literally comes alive when you ask him to bring it to light in your life and it will actually change you that's the evidence that it's real it will transform you it will change your person your person it will and even more than that it will enhance you you know what i mean and so today I'm going to talk a lot about the main character, which we sang about him, and it's my favorite thing to do. It's my absolute favorite thing to do, is talk about the Lord. But I want to start off with the point of the whole message. And maybe even if there was a test after the message, I'm going to give the answer first before the pop quiz hits. And this, there's a verse I want to lead off with in Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. That says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. It's like saying, hey, what do you guys feel is success? You know, what is success? Is it being the strongest, the best, being the wisest, the most intellectually savvy? Is it, is it? Is it being the wealthiest, the most successful, having the most things? You know, He's like, those things aren't success. Don't boast in that stuff. And then verse 24, he says, But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who, practiced, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Man. This deity that we've, we, mankind was poisoned by this fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. To see God as both good and evil. Good cop and bad cop. The mean savage dad who needed, who needed this sacrifice in order to forgive all of the rest of the family. So he poured out his punishment on his kind, gentle, and good son, 
you know, this, this, this too good cop, bad cop reality. But, but that, that is a fallen view. And it's from a, from a demonic tree, right? And he's like, but don't say that these things are success, riches and might and strength and power, wisdom and intellect. But if you're going to boast, boast in this. This is what success is. Somebody who actually understands and knows me. Knows me and understands me. Because I'm Yahweh. This is who I am. I practice, my practice is steadfast love. It's justice. It's righteousness. And in these things I delight. That's who I actually am. And I'll even go... I'll even go, this is the point of the message, and I'll even go, I'll really spoil the test at the end and give you the full answer. Who is saying this? Who is the one saying this? Let him, is this the, the one half or third, depending on, you know, of this Trinitary, the, the father one that's full of wrath, is, understand, knows me. Who is actually saying this? See, we've read the second half of this book. So that one that's getting the flesh beat off his skin, off of his back. That's being strung up on a wooden cross talking about forgive them, they do not know. That's him talking. Yeah. We understand that's, I am Yahweh. But Jesus said the same thing. Remember in John 8, 58, that's probably my favorite verse in the whole Bible. When he's talking to the Pharisees and they're, they're, they're picking at him, they're, they're saying he's illegitimate. They're saying all these negative things. And he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. And they're like, what? Abraham, like you're not even 50 years old yet. And in John 8, 58, what does Jesus say? Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's Yahweh. He's calling himself, you know. And why would, why would in, in Jeremiah 9, why would it be written this way? Let him who boasts, boasts in this. Let this be your, your, your success, is that you know and understand me, that I am this way, that I, am, that I practice steadfast love and justice. What does that mean? It's like, come to the understanding that I'm not who you thought that I was, and that will be success for you in your life. It's what it's saying, man. And that's the one who's saying it. I'm Yahweh, the one who practices these things. So then Jesus is sitting there 30, 32 years old, 30, 33, younger than me, saying before Abraham was, I am. He's using that, frame, that phrase, that name for himself. And it's just like, whoo, we've got to kill you for saying that. It was blasphemy because he was announcing himself as God. Jesus is God, by the way. Spoiler alert. A lot of people, even Christians, don't actually believe that. They just think he's the, the little G version of God, the son, but he's, the father's on a different level. You know what I'm saying? But John, the one that's writing this story most before Abraham was I am, he, he literally starts his gospel with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Yo, wait a second. He was with God and he was God. So there's something to know about this one that when we see him, we see, we see that the key to this very scripture of what we're called to look at as success in Jeremiah 9.
Let he who glories glory in this, that he actually knows, he actually understands me. Understanding has come and he's untied, it's untied his mind from seeing me in this, this skewed view. And now he sees me as I truly am. He knows me. And that is success, man. That's what it is. They didn't want to kill Jesus just because they were jealous. That was very true. But they wanted to kill Jesus for blasphemy so many times. Caiaphas tore his robes. <laughs> you know, the high priest tore his robes because Jesus said, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. That was the title of the, of the God, the Baals, the cloud riders of those days. And he was, he was announcing himself as the deity of Daniel chapter 7 when Daniel prophetically saw the one like a Son of Man riding on the clouds and the Ancient of Days coming together in one picture. Father and son meeting together, but also being deity at the same time. What is this? My mind's going to explode. That's right, and it should. Because it's a great mystery, and it's outside of the ability to fully comprehend. But it is God, and Jesus is God. And his father is also God. Huh? It's like, yeah. And his spirit? That'd be God, too. It's true. It's real. Yeah. And there's freedom in it. Jesus said in John 10, 30, what did he say? Of course, who was trying to attack him, you know, who wanted to stone him for this one, the Pharisees and everybody else. But he said, I and the Father are one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And here he's quoting it, talking about him and his dad are, are, are one. We got to kill this guy. That was their answer to that. It was blasphemy. You know, I and the Father are one. We are one. We're in full agreement. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip, like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's just like, Whoa. there is no variance or shadow or turning between Jesus and his Father. There is no, you can't tell a difference. There's not a good cop and a bad cop. There's not a, an angry God behind the back of Jesus. That's a poor, fallen theology that's been birthed out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. I love it. I mean, John 5, that's one of my favorite stories. The guy that got healed of Bethesda, you know. And then met him up later, and they're like, you're breaking the Sabbath. And he's like, my father's been working this whole time, and so have I. It's just like, well, you're breaking the rules. Like, yeah, my father breaks the rules, and so do I. Like, we need to stone him. Right then, why? Because you make yourself equal to God. That's what they said to him. And what did he say in, in John 5? I think it's 23. You know, don't quote me on that one, because I'm not there. Um, but... He literally looks at them. I actually flip it over. Yeah, it is 23, 5, 23. And he says, they should all, that all should honor the, father, the son just as they honor the father. It's like, dang. He told that to the Pharisees. You make yourself equal with God. And it's like, yeah. He's like, you should honor me on the same level that you honor him at. Whoa, dude. That does sound like a little cross the line. If Jesus is little g to you, it is cross the line. But he's like, yeah. But that's what John 1 is saying. He was with God in the beginning. And he was God. He was pros. He was face to face. He was in complete and total union. This whole seated at the right hand of the throne of God is like seated in, in an, a place of complete and total equality. Like people didn't realize who he actually was walking around on the earth. And we've talked about that a lot, but it's because it's so very important that if the rulers of this world would have known, right? 1 Corinthians 2. They would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Like, that was their mistake. They did not know who he truly, truly was, man. And they played right in his hand. And he took the whole house from them. He took the keys from death and hell. I mean, he took the whole game on it. And it's, 
It's so brilliant, but that's the answer to this whole thing. But just that beginning scripture, I think it'd be good for everyone just to meditate on that for this week. I mean, you don't have to, but I think it's a good idea that Jeremiah 9, 23, 24, really, and it's 24 is like, let he who glories glory in this, that he knows, that he understands me. Like there's nothing, there's no information that's more crucial and more valuable than knowing Jesus, than knowing God as he truly is. Because just like it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold him without a veil over our face, we reflect the same image. And so the more the veils are gone, like the misconceptions of who he is, the more we see him accurately, the more we reflect him accurately, which is, means we do our job, which our job is to be and rest because we are in the image of God. But we, but we portray a wrong image if we're not seeing him in the right image. If we see him as two, two different ways or two different faces or, or, you know, or two different, you know, good and evil or bipolar or whatever, like that's the vibe that the world gets from us. No matter how much we try to force it down, they're going to see both sides of that because we're reflecting something we're not supposed to be beholding. But when we know and understand the Lord, that's true success and it unlocks everything. And this is, this is maybe a 30-second review. This is what we've talked about in these past few weeks is the foundation of what church actually truly is and what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like. And I've given these two, um, two objectives for the Hoff that I've, I've called it. Um, you know, it could be like two aspects of the church. Biblic- what I feel like we're called to really manifest in, in our, you know, our kind of mission statement, what we believe is the church, because I think that's very important. But also what Jesus said about the church, right when he was talking to the disciples in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say bang, bang, bang. Um, well, who do you say that I am? And that's the number one foundational aspect of Christianity and his church, because that's what he said, because Peter steps up, correct, right? And, and he literally says, uh, uh, you know, you are the Christ. Matthew 16, 16, you're the son of God. To which Jesus comes alive on him. He's like, blessed are you. For flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but your father who's in heaven. It's like, you've stepped into a relationship with God and on this rock, I will build my church. You've, boom, you've done this Jeremiah 9, 24. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands that he knows me. And Peter didn't even fully know him at that point. None of them fully did until the end, right? Even John, until he was caught up in heaven and he realized who he really was, like fully, fully was. But he knew he was Messiah. He knew Jesus was the way of God and the Son sent of the Father. And he recognized this. And just that same question, who do men say that I am versus do, who do you say that I am? He, he, he admonished him, was like, yo, Flesh and blood, who people say that I am, has not given you this answer. You step into this, not by flesh and blood, but by the Spirit. You've connected to God. And I've called you, Peter. I've changed your name. And on this rock, I will build my church. It's like the very most crucial aspect of church and Christianity in our personal life as a body and as individuals is that right there. Not who do people say, but who do you say that he actually is. And it will unlock everything in your life. And that's going to be the point of today's message. And if you'll remember, on, you know, that's the foundation of the church. That's what I feel like our, our purpose is, that people would enter into real relational connection with God, their actual true father. You know, 
and the shepherd of their life and learn how to follow him and, and nothing can control them from that point. Nothing can stop them. That's our goal. So that they know God and they step into a relationship with him. That is our mission of everything we do, everything I teach, everything we sing, everything we, which I loved our music today. And it's like everything we do, that's the focal point that people would know him, would be drawn to him, not to us, but to him. And the second was the mission. And I love this. Like Jesus has never mentioned church before, right? No one has called it Ecclesia and all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Blessed are you on this rock. I will build my church and what? And the gates of hell won't prevail. The mission statement was there. And the first time he ever mentioned the place, he told what it was going to be, what its goal was going to be. It's going to bang, bang and wreck shop on the gates of hell. That's what it's going to do. You know what I mean? And what does that mean? That means ever since Eden that there were inroads of the demonic, of darkness, of hell into the earth where they took authority. Ever since Babel, and the 70 nations or 72, depending on how you translate that, like the, the deities spread over the earth, all the gods of the world, and all these things that the Deuteronomy 32.8 talks about, and all these things we've covered, and it's real meaty, but you know, I think majority have a real understanding this turf war, and God chose a guy named Abram, and started his people and, and the covenant people and Jesus came from the lineage. All this beautiful stuff was so that this on this rock of Moses, the gates of hell will not prevail. They've set up shot. They're squatting all over the earth, releasing darkness. And my organization that I've come to, to start, the essence will be they've entered in relationship to their dad. Jesus comes and more than anything else, he paints this picture and uses his words to paint this beautiful reality for mankind. Like, hey, He's not the bad cop. He's Abba. He's dad. And, and you've got him wrong. You're seeing him through a grid. That's who he is. And you're called to be in the family business. And it's like, oh my gosh. It's beautiful. And the gates won't prevail. That's the other mission of the church. When I say the church, that's at large. But definitely of ours in the way what we fully believe. And I feel like it's fully based on the Bible. The gates of hell will not prevail. That people would be empowered to walk out the mandate of God's family to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That, that thing that was written in, in Genesis, subdue the earth, that literally, that's a military takeover of the world. Eden was not heaven. Was, the earth wasn't Eden, but Eden was in the earth. And Adam was called to expand it. And now that mission is back, baby. And it's us. And we are the, we are the sons and daughters of the king, of the kingdom. And it's called to expand over the world. And their gates won't prevail. We're not trying to build something to keep us safe. It's like, no, their gates ain't going to keep them safe. It's offense. It's offense, man. Yeah, and it's fun. And the giftings of us, he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts out to men. He gave the spiritual giftings. And, and I understand, you know, even wanting to create some space or distance from even the term charismatic, right? Because it just, it comes with so much flakiness and stuff that doesn't even feel biblical and everybody's headache is witchcraft and, and it's just like overly spiritualize everything and never bear real fruit but the reality is the the walk of true christianity is there's no such thing as christianity it's not spirit-filled christianity not in the bible anyways and it's like we're called to actually grow and be trained and equipped in the giftings that are very spiritual and the weapons are warfare they're not carnal but they're mighty to pull down strongholds which is the war over the world and we're called to train and walk in this stuff in a way that breaks it open in the world. And our mission is everywhere we're at all the time. 
It's not like when I get to this place and then I go to that place. It's like, no, it's like right now. What are you, what are you doing at Brookshire's today? You never know who you go run into. You know, it's just like you never know what could actually happen. Yeah. So. Yeah, don't get me all jacked up, y'all. Come on now. But, you know, it's, it is. It's what, it's, it's, it's what the thing's about, you know. And I think we, we I really want to focus on, out of those two points, the foundation on this rock and who, who do men say that I am versus who do you say that I am. But I love the mission as well because it goes hand in hand that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. And I think we've done that over the past couple of weeks and, and we've kind of zeroed in on this very, very singular, I feel like we've kind of landed and ended on this picture in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus had sent out the, the 12 and then he had sent out 70 or 72 if you're ESV um, where in Luke 10, 21, Jesus was like rejoicing in spirit, was like psyched out, fired up and, and acting in a way that most people have a hard time believing he would act. We think he's like in the little creepy Jesus cartoons. Have you seen those? Or like, oh, you know, I don't know, like he has no personality. He's the author of joy. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, he is anointed with the oil of joy above all of his brethren is what the Bible says about him. So you don't think the dude was kind of happy and fun to be around? Yeah, dude. Oh yeah. The Prince of Peace. So he was never stressed or anxious, you know? And um, here he is being so full of joy that it's noted. So what does that even look like? And I've shared with you guys before we even moved here, I was, I was so stuck on that verse Luke 10, 21, it's like I, it kept replaying in my mind this picture of him just rejoicing and flipping out and being so super excited back in 2008, 9, whenever I had that. It was like, when you ever read the Bible and you get stuck on something and all you can do is replay it like a movie? That happens to me some days, but uh, it was just that so specifically. And it was like, man, can you imagine making him that happy? Because you know you're pleasing to him and he loves you and all this stuff, but could you imagine doing something? You know, as me and... Uh, uh, a lot of us, a lot of our daughters play volleyball together in, the, in here, you know what I mean? And me and Drew were joking around about, because both of our daughters, like, when they get their serves in, that they'll, they'll, if they do something good, it's like, yeah, but then they kind of look over. They look to see if dad's watching, and we're like, yeah, you know, and it gets them so lit, you know what I mean? Because they, they scored a point or whatever, you know what I mean? It's the cutest thing. Um, we all have that in us, but it's like, can you see your father rejoicing over you and dancing like, yeah! Jesus, because of something you did. You know, it almost be like, well, I'm not worthy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's fired up, you know? And that's what this verse is about. And it's like, man, I want him to do that. I want to set him off. It's like when you tickle somebody and they can't help but laugh. I want to do stuff that I can't, I know I can get him going. Like Yitza, man, I can make, I don't know what it is, my like dad humor. I can get Yitza laughing. I can do it easily. I, and, and once I do it, I can just keep stirring it, dude. I can keep stirring that pot and get them going, you know? Uh, you know, sometimes you have the key to somebody like that, you know? Yeah. But, but like Steve, Elder Steve now, I've told jokes around Steve where he started to repent about it, and he didn't even tell it. <laughs> he started praying one time. We're eating breakfast. He started praying. Like, well, okay, Lord, so, you know, we're not really, you know, and I'm thinking, like, I'm the one that said the joke. I'm not repenting. Why are you repenting? Because he thought it was so funny. <coughs> and I promise you, it was not inappropriate. I don't tell dirty things. If you know me, I don't talk in a funky way, so don't think I'm going to have a different side, you know? It was genuinely just funny. 
And um, I, I wish I could tell it right now, but I won't do it. It was hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. But it was about a charismatic person being overly spiritual, and it, it was good. <clears throat> but we are the, you know, we're, char- we're spiritual Christians. Right. Um, so what was I talking about, man? Uh, yeah, but just imagine the key to the heart of the Lord, like you could get him lit. There's nothing like that, you know. And, um, but this also goes with his strategy. We understand this. This is when Jesus said, I, the, 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 the 72 literally come back to him. They said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And they're like, the demons came out. You know, people were here. They were so fired up. And he's like, hey, I saw Satan. He like went up some, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Like, you guys did something over this region, and it dethroned something spiritually that was governing these people's minds. The whole place is shaking. And it's not even me doing it. I wasn't out there. You guys were out there. And that his kids and his family were stepping into their calling. And the war was happening. The war of light. Because not a war of evil. A war of setting people free from darkness was happening. And all the kids got to play in the game. And they were doing it. It, it set them off. And so it wasn't like, oh, let's, let's do it. You know, let's worship all night for two nights and, not, and, and fast and and, and try to cast down the principality and do all these little things that happen these days in charismatic circles or whatever. It's like, it's all a complete, it, it's not, it, it's a complete joke because the way Jesus did things, what did he do? He sent out his 12. And as we talked about in Luke 9, they came back, manifested all kinds of negativity in their attitude and heart because they had such great success, but he didn't even disqualify them. He saw it as good. And he gave them the contrast. You know, I didn't come to destroy men's life, but to save them. This is what I'm like. So that's what you're like. You know what I'm saying? It's like we've done that for the past few weeks and it was beautiful. But even after he sent out those 12, he saw it as such a success that he sent out 72 more people to do the same thing. In other words, he just gave people power and authority over the darkness and said, go out and set your brothers and sisters free. And it's beautiful because that's the strategy of how are the gates of hell not prevail in the earth? It's like, what does the church do? It's like, well, what did Jesus do with the organization? He didn't disqualify people. He told them they were, they were qualified. Even if they made mistakes, he helped clean the mess up by actually showing them the contrast, not punishing them, not putting in time out um, because he had actually paid for that reserva- you know, reversal. He walked in relationship to them and they listened to his voice and went out and did what he said that they could do and it worked and they came alive. And that was the strategy. And it's a beautiful strategy. It's been our strategy. I'll tell you a story. I don't, these type of things I don't tell a lot um, because, well, because they're somewhat strange sometimes, like some of my, it's some of my personal behind the scenes stuff with the church. And, but I had this dream and it was, it was really like a vision of the night. You know, if you've ever had one of those dreams where you really feel like you're there, it's lucid, um, you, you, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the colors, everything is there. It's almost like you've been transported, but you're asleep in your bed. And this was two and a half years ago. Cause I remember it was in March of 21 and, um, I was sleeping in my bed here in Tyler, but in this dream, I was instantly on this road south of here. And it, it, it kind of seemed like I was close. It felt like I was close to like the Lake Palestine area. I was in Bullard or Flint or somewhere in, in that area where the, the pine trees are just absolutely massive and old. And I was on this road in the dark and I, and I awoke Well, I was, I was asleep in my bed, but I didn't know that I was asleep because I, I, I like found myself in the middle of this road, but it's, you know, it was three in the morning. So no one was there um, except one man. And I recognized him and I knew he was a messenger. I knew he was a messenger. And I walked up to him and he was so excited to see me. 
And he, and he gives me a prophetic word. And um, he looked at me. He's like, I have a word for you. And I'm like, yeah, like I was ready for it. And he goes, and he says, 72 flames, just like that. And as soon as he said it, I knew exactly what he, what he meant. Because of this, this um, picture of Luke 10, 21 that I had before we ever started the Hoff of seeing rejo- Jesus rejoice after the 72 came back to him. And knowing that that was the joy of his heart and knowing that that was the strategy of the kingdom and the church is meant to, you know, like it says in Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of the ministry to let people train and equip in their gifts and actually function in the church and on the outside of the walls of the church. And so all this stuff was, was in my head and my knowledge and I, we had been living it and we've been training and we've been doing it even when there was messes. But in this dream, when this man, who I knew was a messenger and he was a good bit larger than me, um, was standing in the middle of the road in the three in the morning. Um, and, and I knew, he's like, I have a word from you from the Lord. And I was so excited. And as soon as he said it, 72 flames, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I told him, I was like, I know exactly what that means like that. And um, <laughs> it's funny. And that's why I don't talk about this stuff too much, uh, you know, but it was like, it was so personal to me because I, I knew that he was talking about, I knew it was an admonition, right? And like, almost like I was being encouraged that the church was on track, but now it was going from a smaller, like the 12 to like, boom, there's more people that are going to be in the game now. And I was like, oh, you know, and, and, and that this is the way, you know, and I was going to, we were going to see expansion and expansion in the way of like influence that would have effect on the region. It's like, Hey, you've been training, you've been equipping the small, now the group's going to be larger. And, you know, if there's, there's a verse, I think it's Psalm 1044. I don't, I don't know where, I don't know if I have it here, but where it says he makes his messengers winds and his ministers a flame of fire, you know, and it's quoted again in Hebrews 1 about the angelic and, and the sons or the servants. Sometimes it says it's his servants, flames of fire. Some of your Bibles will translate that as his ministers or his servants. It's like it's all his family. But this, this partnership between the angelic and human, right? that it's just like they, they partner together and, and the wind and the fire cause the thing to spread. I know. It, it's a lot for some people, but probably not if you're here. So anyways, but it's my personal walk with the Lord and I'm just kind of letting you guys into it right now. So anyways, when I, when I had that dream and he said that, and I was like, I know exactly what that means because I knew it was like, you've been faithful, expansion is going to come in and this thing is going to spread more and you're going to see it. You're going to see it kind of rattle through circles in the community. And I was like, Yes. But when I said, I know exactly what that means, the guy, he kind of had like a slightly disappointed look on his face because like he was like hoping to have to explain it. And the fact that I was tracking, I knew he knew it. He was like, well, that's all I got. I got to go. He knew he, his job was to come give me that message on that road and then float off or whatever. And so he was kind of bummed, bummed out about it, which I never, I'll never forget that. Um, and there's a second half to that because he actually st- he, on the spot, he prayed. He said, Lord, give me something else for him. Give me something else for him. He asked like two or three times. And, um, and that part was actually for me. So I won't even share that really much of it. But um, the Lord gave him something else for me. And it was one verse. It was actually one verse, which is the humor of God. Um, but it was out of the Song of Solomon. One verse. And uh, it was so personal. But I'll tell you, it, it caused me to be from standing up on the road 
to be laying down on the road. Boom, on my back. And the guy vanished. Okay, so there's that. Maybe a little much for some of you, but you know, it's, it's New Testament Christianity, man, and, and that's how it works. And it's, it's funny too, between me and the Lord, because I've always, I've always disliked Song of Solomon, to be honest. I've made that joke for like 10, 15 years. Like 15 years ago, before my class or anybody, I was reading the book of Enoch. I had a pastor told me like, when I found out about it, I was like, you don't need to be reading the book of Enoch. Don't read it. So what did I go do? I found it and I read it, you know. And glad that I did, you know, but, um, just because how well it tracks with Genesis. But anyhow, um, but I used to joke and just be like, man, I wish they would. I was like, those guys, you know, they should have, they need to take Song of Solomon's a weird, perverted book. You need to put Enoch in there. One Enoch and take that out. That that would solve so many problems. You know what I mean? That's how I used to think. Like what a waste, you know. And um, but the fact that he spoke this, it was a single a single verse to me, and um, and it had a great effect on me. And I was shook for like a couple weeks. I was very tender for a couple weeks. Kind of weepy, could cry easily. You know what I mean? If you know me, that ain't me. That's not how I normally am. Um, so it's very cool about intimacy with the Lord. So. Excuse me. Anyways, that's why this passage of Scripture is so very important to me, right? And, and like I said, I don't usually even talk about those type of experiences and stuff here um, just for whatever reason. It's like, but that's for me behind the scenes. But I knew in that time frame there was, that was happening. And I think that was right when we, we, we have our prophetic ministry teams and all that stuff. And um, we did another training. And it was the first one where me and Nicole, like, we didn't actually do it. Like other people from the church were actually going to be in charge of doing it. And I think there was like 40 people signed up for it. So it's like there was this big group of people training to hear the Lord's voice practically and minister to people like in the next couple of weeks. And it was, it was so very cool because I knew the Lord was saying, hey, like the training equipment is going to expand. And I'll tell you what, even this is even personal and maybe it's petty, I don't know. But we had started the podcast, which is really not even a podcast, right? It's like a, it's just the messages. They go up every Sunday. And when we had started, you know, we get like two, 300, you know, downloads in a month and I thought like dang that's a lot of people to listen to like a service from a church you know what I mean um, when we first started and we were a good bit smaller than this too and it's just like it was really cool but I had this in my mind I thought yeah but it would be cool to hit 400 a month because then like you get to release the word of the Lord to people and teach them the Bible but also like there's a hundred there's a hundred more downloads every week of people that are listening that you don't even know where it's going it's really cool it's kind of like a personal goal and um, but after that experience that night it was like mid-march the rest of march just jumped on the podcast boom and we were like over 500 uh it was like 520 something that month at the end of march and it was like this to me it was like dang like to me it was kind of like one of those evidence those proofs like hey this thing's i'm gonna i'm gonna cause this to spread a little bit more you know and it was just like one of those tokens between me and him that i wouldn't talk about i would have never shared but it was like, that was real. And the fact that I was kind of shook from the Song of Solomon thing, you know what I mean, for a couple weeks, because I could feel the, the tenderness and the love of the Lord, because that's what it was about. And, um, you know, in a new way for me. So it was really cool. And um, it, was a, it was a token. And, and, you know, obviously, and it's funny, because this week we had, I think we had well over 500 just this week now. You know what I mean? So, like, back then it was just like, that'd be a really cool goal. And to the Lord, it's like, you know, I'll throw you a bone on that. I'll give you a little token to show you that this is real, what I'm telling you, you know. But anyways, that's, that's so important to me, that aspect. That's a little behind the scenes of my heart towards the church, that people are trained and equipped in the gifts that they have, and so many are laying dormant, but they are so 
mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and for setting people free and for having a drastic impact. Like, golly, how many times do we read through the book of Acts and we talk about these unsung heroes that like, who is that guy or who is that lady? Like, they're not even famous. It's like, yeah, but they, they did stuff that broke the whole thing open. But it was purposely written for us so that we would see, like, this is every single one of us at any point, at any day, you can actually change the entire world. Absolutely, with any conversation you have. And the key to the gates of hell not prevailing, objective number two, is objective number one, that they would know me. Who do men say that I am? But who do you say that I am? And it's like accurately in really knowing Jesus as he truly is. And we understand Jesus is our theology. So the way he trains, the way he equips, the way he didn't punish, the way he admonished, the way he painted a contrast to deliver people from these evil things without disqualifying them is the way he deals with us. You know, the word of life comes alive, just like the, just like the, um, the menorah would light the bread. Like we eat of the bread of the word of life and actually becomes a part of us and we reflect the image of the Lord as we truly see him. And when we start to see the Bible and we see Jesus as he is, it unlocks us. And that's what's the most contagious thing of all. But back to that very verse in Matthew 10, 21, he rejoices in spirit. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babies. And he says in verse 22, all these things have been delivered to me by my Father. And this is the verse that I want to point out today that goes with Jeremiah 20, I'm sorry, with Jeremiah 9. And it's Luke 10, 22. He says, all these things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son, who the Son is, except the Father. And who the Father is, except the Son. And who the Son chooses or wills to reveal Him. It's like, what? Jesus is flipping out, rejoicing, and fired up because this, the church, it has begun. The war, the power, the authority has been given back to the people. The imagers. And he's not even been to the cross yet. Unless you believe outside of time and space, he was crucified before the foundation of the earth, which seems like that's true as well. But it's like, he's given this authority just on his word, and they've gone and done this stuff, and he's so fired up. But what he starts yelling about and fired up about is that no one knows who the Son is except for the Father. And no one really knows who the Father is except for the Son and whomever the Son reveals to, reveals his identity to. And it's this brilliant thing. It's like, hey, if it doesn't come, Jesus is saying, if it doesn't come through me, if it doesn't look like me, if it doesn't smell like me, if he doesn't act like me, it's not him. In other words, like there's nothing different. You won't be able to see. You will never see the difference between the Father and the Son. You won't be able to see it. You won't be able to, oh, there's a little variation or shadow or turning. That's what James says. There's no variation, shadow or turning in him. It's like, it's like he is all light. Let him who glories glory in this, that he knows me and that he understands me, that I, am, that I am full of this steadfast love. It's like, that's who he is. There's not a bad cop behind the back of Jesus. You know, there's not this, there's, there's not this, you know, angry dad punishing his son in order to relieve himself. Well, I got to, I got to, I got to throw all this heat on somebody. Let me throw it on him and that'll save y'all. Because that's not really forgiveness, is it? That's like a payment. And um, 
So these weird theologies creep in, but Jesus is rejoicing and saying, no one knows who the Son is except the Father. One of it is like no, Jesus is saying, no one knows my true, true identity except for God. So he's sent the 12, he sent the 72, and the world is shaking. And it's like, now nobody knows who I really am because these miracles, these signs that they, they've attributed to me to kind of track me and follow me, they're happening all over the place. My, my, my identity is officially hidden. I'm off the grid and, I'm, and it's going to play right into my hand. They're going to arrest me and kill me because they won't know who I truly am. And then I'll save. I will recover the entire thing. That's the, for the, what doesn't it say that in, in Hebrews 12? Like, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, thinking little of the shame. Wasn't a big deal. He was happy to do it for us. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. He knew his, his identity was stealth, but also nobody really knows the Father except for the Son and who the Son reveals him to. And then he goes, he turns to his disciples privately is what it says in Luke 10, 23, which I think this is very interesting. Can you imagine him freaking out? Ah, and everyone's like, dang, I'm not seeing him like this. He is lit. He is fired up. But then him, him like shuffling over to the 12, like, hey, 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 turn into them. You know, blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and hear what you hear and have not heard it. It's like, hey, you guys are getting a behind the scenes look. You know something that even they don't know. You're watching this all unfold. Think of this. And who are the disciples? Is the 12, but who else is it? It's us because it's in red and it's our Bible and it's alive. So blessed are the eyes that see this and recognize it for what it is. Blessed are the, are the ears that hear it, that they, the eyes that can see these things. We can recognize, we can see him rejoicing and we can hear these, what seemed like riddles to them. No one knows the son except for the father and the father except for the son. He's like, well, you, guys, you guys catching on yet? You know what I mean? Think about, think about Thomas in John 20 when he, when he got to touch Jesus' hands and his side. What did he say? He said two things. He said, my Lord and my God. It was like, holy mackerel, you're, you're him, but you're him. You're him, but you're him. You're, the, you're him. You're, the, you're I am that. You is that you is. You be that you be. I am that I am. You're, it's like, whoa, whoa. What is this? What is this? You're outside of time and space. You're bigger than creation. You created it all. You hold it all together with the word of your power. These things of Hebrews, Hebrews 1, calls him the creator. John 1 calls Jesus the creator. You know. In, in the times of old, he spoke through the prophets in these other ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. That's how it's really written there in Hebrews 1, right? We speak English. God speaks in this language called son. He's the communication of God. And John takes it up a notch. He's the Logos. He's the word of God who is with God, but he also is God. And it's just like, hey, you're kind of hurting my brain. It's like, no, I'm unlocking your brain. If you see this, you see it. You don't see things. We... we we love verses, you know, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. 
Yeah. Does that mean that Jesus he was that there's a substitution there? Yes. All of my sin placed on him. He was in my place, in your place. He took the whole entire, the entirety of the sin of the world. Just like his cousin, Dreadlock John, had said, Behold, the Lamb takes the sin of the world away. He did it. Right? And that's, and that's, that's why, you know, doctrines like penal substitution, you hear that kind of stuff a lot. And there's truth in it, you know. Yeah, he died in our place. Like, he took all of our sin upon himself. You know. But when you see him for who he truly is, you don't see a father taking it out on a son so that he could see us through the righteous son. You do see that. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. He took the whole entire thing upon himself so that we could see it, just like the snake that was lifted up by Moses. You know, that brazen serpent thing. And, you know, it's true, but what we're missing is that that wasn't a bipolar deity that one who needed his wrath appeased and one that needed to protect us. That was that Jesus, that God, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There's a, there's a difference. There's a difference between this, this variance or shadow or turning, this good cop, this bad cop, this, this, this view of, of God taking out his wrath on his son versus... God being actually in the Son, and the Son being God, taking the wrath upon Himself. That's a game changer, man. And I could do it all day. But I do it a lot, so I'm not going to do it all day, if you're new. There's probably hundreds of messages about it on our podcast. But, you know, it's, it's just like, the reality is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're not called to see him in this other way. We're called to see the love. This is the, you know, Christus Victor model of, of the atonement, like the victorious Christ that actually conquered sin. And, the, and just as Jesus said, as the serpent was raised up by Moses, you know, in John 3 when he's quoting that stuff, so the son of man will be raised, raised up. Like this, this reality that the people were poisoned by the snake in the wilderness, but when they would see that thing lifted up, it would cure their poison. And you do the same way. When Jesus is lifted up and you see all of your sin on him, but also what you will see is not a wrathful God. You will see the one who loves you more than you could ever imagine, who would absorb all of that darkness and never put it back on his kids because he did it for the joy that was set before him to rescue everyone. And that's the love of God. And that's the love of God that sets people free. And that's what creates disciples. Jesus said, go make disciples. If your life isn't creating disciples... We're not doing it right. And it's not going to tell them you're a sinner and you're this and you're that. That's the other tree. It is the victorious Christ. It is like he's taken your sin away. All you have to do is repent, like turn away from it and, and walk in his direction. Repent before he because ha- he's forgiven you. Not, not if you repent, then he will forgive you. It's like, no, he already forgave you. He didn't breathe his last breath before he forgave you. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is all done in ignorance because they've been poisoned by that snake's tree. This has all been done in ignorance. I don't hold any of it against them. And I willfully absorb all of the wrath, punishment, and darkness that they have possible to put upon me. And just like he told his disciples, the ruler of this world's coming. 
the night before he was crucified, it's John 14, the ruin of this world coming, but he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. There's no button he's going to be able to push in me that I'm going to react and strike any of you back. Because if, if it was me, I'm sure there's at some point that I'm going Darth Vader and I'm just choking all those uh, Roman soldiers, just choking them, lifting them up in the air like that. You know what I mean? Doing some Magneto stuff to them. Wow, you know, something that's like, all right, that's, I've had enough. That's the last stripe I'm going to take. I'm going to start whipping you guys now. <laughs> but it's like he never, he never, th- th- he has nothing in me. There's no button he can push to cause me to reveal something because there's no darkness in me at all. I, I absorb darkness. There's none in me. I'm not bipolar. Long-suffering is like, yeah, more than long-suffering. Eternal suffering. No matter how much I suffer, I will not strike back. I, I just won't do it. And he didn't do it. And his power overcame it. And Jesus told his disciples that, did he not? Well, the... The spirit of holiness raised him for the dead. Yes, that's true. His father raised him for the dead. Yes, that's true. All those things are true. But I remember Jesus in red telling his disciples, I'm laying my life down. They're not taking it from me. But I'm laying it down and I'm going to take it back up. Like, what are you just, you, you mean your father is going to raise you up? Like, no, I'm taking it back. It's like, dang, this dude's a little more powerful than they thought. But he, but he am, he is. Yahweh, that was him. He's the embodiment. And he's the son. And he's the father. And he's the ghost. The triune, this, this reality, this, the baptism, the, the ghost, like a dove in the father's voice and the son's in the water. But how, how can they be there? But they're all fully agreed. The Shema, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's real. Anything that doesn't look like Jesus is not God. And I study this and I've studied it for a long time, even when I was in school, even when I was doing stuff. And there's certain things I'll, I'll <coughs> excuse me, there's certain things I'll, I'll trip up in on the Bible and I'll have a real hard time with. Like, ah, that doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? But I will lock into Jesus. If it doesn't seem like your nature, that seems like a little, you know what I mean? I will, be, I, will, I will be drugged by the hem of his garment or by hanging on his ankles. I'm not letting go of who you are because that does not sound like you. And guess what? Eventually, the study or the light will come in and, you'll, and the Bible will be unlocked and you'll be like, oh, that was, that's because that's not, that's not what that is. Because it's healthy to have questions and to see them true. See them through. That's what I meant to say, not true. But I mean, I think that's good too. I love 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in, in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles and believed on in the world and received up in glory. And it's like the greatest theologian or one of, you know, the Apostle Paul writing this to Timothy, one of the other greatest guys in the Bible, you know, just teacher and, and, and leader. But it's like, hey, with, without controversy, it's, it's no doubt this, this is a mind bender. I know this is a mystery, and I know it's, it's hard for our brains to wrap around sometimes. However, God, he, he, was, he manifested down here in the flesh. You know what I mean? He was seen by angels. He was justified. You know what I mean? That Romans 4.25 in the spirit, like this, this reality. He's preached among the Gentiles. He believed on in the world. Everything we believe about him Everything we believe about God has to go through the person of Jesus. It absolutely has to. 
And if it doesn't line up with her, then there's a missing link. There's something wrong. But it means that there's something to be discovered and to be seen. Exegesis all day long, I've never seen it not work. I've never seen it not work. You know, God is love and he's victorious. And it's controversial sometimes. But, but who cares? It's good news. It's the way it is. And many of, so many of you are from here. You, you know, this is your church. You've been here forever. You've been baptized here and all these things. And I'm like, God, nothing, nothing you're saying seems controversial. I promise it is to some on the outside of the wall. To those who love the tree of knowledge of good and evil and want to see people disqualified, it's very, it's very, it can be a real challenge. But um, the reality is, is Jesus is God. The fullness of God embodied. And Jesus' Father, He's God too. Yeesh. Yeah. But He and His Father are one. And He desires us to be one as He and His Father are one. That's what He said. Yeah. So to have this understanding and unity of mind that all light is the mission. And um, so that's what I'll close with. Jeremiah 9, 24. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. God wants to be known. So the question for the week is, there's two questions. Who do people say that Jesus is? Who have people told you that Jesus is? And the question number two is, who do you say that Jesus is? Because that's a big deal. And if you don't know the Lord, if you, if you don't know Him, this is, this is beautiful. And like the thing about evangelism, it, you don't have to really strive. Um, the way this works is even if you if maybe you hear or maybe you listen on this online, whatever, it's like the key is to ask him. And I always tell people it's it's one thing that's brilliant is to write it down. And I would ask him, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? Who are you? And don't even you don't have to tell anybody you did it. And then just watch all the knocks at your door. Some of them will be literally at night in the middle of the night waking you up. Some will be on your window. Uh, some of it will be songs that come up. Some will be random memories that come up where he actually took care of you. You didn't realize it was even him. S- stuff will start to happen and the thing will start to be revealed to you. And you'll start to develop something called intimacy, which is a secret relationship with him. Like, oh, snap, you're real. They're all going to think I'm an idiot, but you're real. You know what I mean? Well, that was me. You know, that's more the way I can remember. Anyways. All right. Well, God, I thank you that you're real. I thank you so much. And I ask that your reality would come in and through your household and would trump the reality of the world. 